Welcome to Get Ofrey, the Consciousness Transforming Podcast for exceptional 21st century living. We've got a love show going on today. We're going to be speaking with Linda Carroll and talking about her book, Love Skills, The Keys to Unlocking Lasting Wholehearted Love. And folks, it's not like watching The Bachelor. Okay, just a hint. Okay, just a hint. Now, the information shared on Get Over It uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break through the blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that's been holding you back. But you know, I always ask that question, are you really ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. Now, a bit about me for my new listeners, intuitive since birth. I'm a third-generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing cutting-edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional, and I'm the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network, a 501c3 non profit. And I also authored two books. I provide consultations and healings in all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your very best life. Now, my clients tell me that I keep it real while providing them with accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living in human existence. But they also say, if you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, Reiki master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapist. So whether you are stressed, depressed, or possessed, I can help. To find out more about me and my services, go to my website, nesmoniquechapman.com, and I invite you to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Love Skills offers specific effective solutions to the most common struggles that couples face, both the small troubles and the more serious dilemmas of communication gridlock, betrayal, and seemingly intractable differences. I'll get that out. Uh, Linda skillfully draws on her own marriage of 35 years to guide readers through challenging issues like loss of sexual energy why what once seemed endearing in their partner is now annoying and many ways that family history and personality can wreak havoc in relationships. Um, Linda Carroll has worked as a therapist and couples coach for over three decades and has acquired numerous certificates and degrees along the way. She says that her own 35-year marriage is the primary source of her knowledge when it comes to love cycles. And she lives in Oregon. And you can check her out at her website, and that's lindaacarroll.com, L-I-N-D-A-A-C-A-R-R-O-L-L.com. Welcome, Linda. Well, hello. Boy, that's quite a in, in quite a an introduction. Oh, well, thank you. You're you're worth it, girl. You're worth it. So, um, first of all, before we get into some of the juicier things, not that anything is not juicy on my show, um, tell us what you mean by love skills and that love is an inside job. Let's set the premise for our talk today. Well, okay. So, first of all, love is a feeling. And loving is a skill. So love, um, loving, you don't need skills to love. We just, I did it at 11. I fell in love at 11 years old. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have any skills. You could, we just, and, and even the expression fall, we fall in love. We don't have to do anything. We're just standing there. We fall over. But loving, that is something different. And that requires skills. 
And the first set of skills have to start within us because the bottom line is that we don't change anybody. We can't get anybody to do anything, to be anything, to love us back. And the only way we have any kind of control is over our own responses. Um, So it's an inside job because it has to start from in us. And I think that's kind of a, a kind of a change in the idea of love. And especially if you living, look at the songs, um, the, the, the love songs that we listen to, they have so much to do with either the feeling of loving or about trying to wishing someone would change. And that's caused a lot of pain. And it's created a lot of beautiful music, too. Yeah, a lot of beautiful music, but, you know, that pain is very real, and and it's almost a a misconception was created because I remember being like 8, 9, 10 years old, and, you know, you're dreaming because you're supposed to dream at that age of who you're going to marry and this, that, and the other day, folks. And um, it was like, well, my life didn't turn out like that, although I, I did dream my husband at age 12, so I knew him when I met him. But, you know, um, outside of that, things didn't necessarily necessarily shake out that way. Why is it that we think that love is external and that we need something or someone else to come in and complete us, to make us who we well, are? Well, I think there's a real answer to that question. And I think it has to do with chemicals because when you fall in love, when you feel that feeling, it happens as a result of, of another person who sets off a chemical cocktail inside of your brain inside of your the, the 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 chemistry of love we're starting to understand it so deeply so when i see him or her and all those cocktails set off this flow of endorphins and oxytocin which is the com- the cuddle chemical and and endorphins which is the feel good chemical i i that happens whenever i'm in this other person's presence so it's very easy to imagine that they are the cause of those feelings. And actually they are, but it's much more complicated. <laughs> it is so complicated. So the feelings are set off, and because it is a, um, be, be, one of the things, like all, like all substances, we need the presence of the substance to feel the feelings. So mm-hmm. we misunderstand that it's when I'm around you, I feel a certain way, and therefore... It's all about you, but I think that those chemicals, what they're really doing is they're setting up a bridge that we're crossing into a, a, a journey where we're going to have to come out of that journey realizing that it's really about what's inside of us. But it starts with something outside of us. That's what starts the journey. So I think, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Did I explain that, that, that very makes- well? Yeah, you, you explained that very well, but I want to ask you a, a couple of questions regarding that. Um, I mentioned, you know, in the introduction, the show The Bachelor, which I think is complete BS, and I don't mean belief system on that one. And then also like this 90-day fiancé and love after lockup and all of that. So are those shows based around this emotion, this chemistry that you were just talking about? Well, so, sometimes people feel the chemistry on those. I haven't seen those, but I... I have seen one called Love Behind the Curtain. I think it's called that. Um, that that and, and if you look at, well, you know, I don't, I mean, this is, this is not an easy slam dunk question, Monique. Oh, look no. at betrothed marriages. In betrothed marriages, people don't, sometimes never feel that. They're just hooked up with somebody for the sake of political 
gain for their parents or they you know community gain but i but i know that that feeling of falling in love has always always been present even when people never even considered marrying for anything other than having children the romantic love and courtly love was always there and that's Mm -hmm. based on the chemicals but in 2020 in our culture we believe that those chemicals are a call to be with someone and and you know maybe they are um i i mean i think that or certainly they are in the way that our culture is but i think that they're not a call i think that we are called to be with somebody so that we can learn that it is an inside job it's a mm-hmm. round about kind of journey to get there because so because the chemicals wear off after three years also so that it has diminishing returns and so every time you fall in love actually you have less and less chemicals. And as a therapist, I see people sometimes in their late 40s or 50s saying, why does it only last three months now? That's because you burn those chemicals um, Mm -hmm. up, you know. And and so after the chemicals burn up, that's where we really start the relationship. Before that, we're just in la-la land. Okay, so talk to me a bit about long-term relationships and marriages. You've been married 35 years. I've been married 45 years. Sometimes I look at them and I was like, oh, my God, what would I ever do without you? And other times it was WTF, was I thinking. Um, So how do you get to that point where, you know, you say the chemicals burn out after three years. How do you reignite that if you want something long-term? Or is it just that we're kind of conditioned to being, you know, the idea of successful marriage being long-term, that we just follow that energy? I think that's a, I think that's a really great question. And, I, you know, it's different for, for different people. Mm-hmm. I think that, that but, but in, my, in my model, when we, it's not just the loss of those chemicals. It's in regaining myself. And if I had the wisdom to choose a person who would do their own work on the planet, you know, who would come to some sort of sense of, of who they are in a real way, not, mm-hmm. not in an ego way, but in a deeper way, then we can end up at a stage I call wholehearted. And wholehearted has everything in it where, you know, you can fall in love on Tuesday again with your partner and feel all those warm feelings and then Wednesday morning wake up and think, what am I doing with you? But you know how to get out of it. You know how to repair. Because one of the things that happens is that we fall madly in love. We fall in love with somebody because they're different than us, because they're, they feel like our missing piece, whatever language you want to use. And when those chemicals wear off, that's no longer feels sexy. And let me add, when you're quarantined with someone for a year, it really doesn't feel sexy. Those differences become highlighted. And so what do we do with the differences? Do we blame the other person and try to get them into being who we thought they were or trying to make them more like us? Or do we find the bigness inside of our being to be able to make room for another person and to take a break away from them when we need to and to know how to repair when things have gotten rough? You know, mm-hmm. that's why we need skills because to, to do that journey of learning how to really love another person with good boundaries and good self-respect it, it's not something most of us ever learned and so there's a skill to all of that including what you said I think what you said is really important because sometimes you think how can I live without you 
And sometimes you think, what am I doing here? And, the, mm-hmm. and part of the skill is understanding that those thoughts are not real. Neither are real. And, and that they are momentary feelings. And they, and they stand for something that's, that's true. You know, the times we feel close and the times the other person makes us crazy. But they're not a total reality. Right. It's not, you know, we can live without anybody. And a lot of people, sadly, are finding that during COVID yes, in a very painful are. way. Yes. And, oh, and, and go ahead. yeah, go ahead. Well, I don't know. I just, I heard the title of a book. I don't, it was called, um, let me see if I can even think of it. It was so good. Now, you know, when you, when you go to think of something and then it just totally leaves. But it mm-hmm. was called Every relationship is incompatible or something like that if we if we look too closely at relationships there are ways that we're all impossible and I think that that's sometimes we hit those ways and that's as real as the ways that we fit and mindfulness allows us you know the big word for me in mindfulness is and I couldn't live without you some days and other days I'd like nothing more than living without you and that both of those can be part of our reality so we don't have to act on either of those yeah it's just the energy in the moment so to speak the energy of the moment and knowing that we have these feelings and and thoughts and they come through it but I think the bottom line is if you have selected well and sometimes we don't I didn't at first if we've Mm -hmm. selected well we have somebody who can do the journey with us some of the time and 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 I think that you know and and be there in ways that are we're grateful for some of the time but not all of the time I go to my girlfriends for certain things that I have learned never to go to my husband forever Uh and you know we're both grateful I've got him because he Uh doesn't get it and they get it and he we can't have somebody be everything for us no, and I think that's one of the big mistakes that we make. But let me delve deeper into something that you touched on earlier, and that's, you know, COVID confinement and love relationships. You know, I'm in California, and back in March, you know, we did a shutdown. Um, I, God, I can't even remember how long it was because I contracted COVID during that time period. And, um, you know, it was a little tough. Um thank God the house was big enough where I had my own space, he had his own space, and meals were, you know, um, Ubered in or whatever. And, you you know, it kind of worked that way. But then after that initial getting over that initial incident, I mean, it's like we're locked in together 24-7. I mean, the date night is going to the grocery store or Costco. Costco is a big deal. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. and we've been together forever, and still it was kind of like, yeah, sometimes, you know. And then other times it went yeah. smoothly with both of us having a realization that we needed to step up and be more understanding of the other person. Now, was that the wrong approach to take? No, I think, you know what, I think when everything else fails, you can try kindness. And sometimes I can't even get there with my husband. But you know what I've come to find out is that most of the time, most of the time it's much more about me. Here's an example. When we have, I'm thinking, my husband and I have a different relationship to order. Is that, that's a, way of, a nice way of saying it, isn't it? Uh-huh. And when on, th- on Thanksgiving, um, he, we, we got our, we were sad not to go be with our family, but we, you know, we were going to have a nice dinner together. And he changed the tablecloth and put a beautiful table together 
he took the tablecloth, the old tablecloth, and threw it on the floor and never saw it or picked it up. So when I went into dinner, which was very, very lovely of him, the first mm-hmm. thing I saw was the tablecloth that he didn't put in the wash. Mm-hmm. And I felt immediately annoyed. But I was, we were in such a sweet place with each other that I immediately, I thought it's sort of cute, really. I mean, he doesn't see it. And his, he doesn't, you know, he just, he did such a good job. And I felt very tolerant and it was endearing. A few days later, what are we? We're about a week later now. I guess this was about uh, uh, the day before yesterday. We had an argument about something to do with COVID safety, which is a real, you know, it's a real um, difficult thing for us. Uh-huh. And we're both on the normal, but I'm on high extreme care normal, and he's on a little bit to the, I think, like, um, <laughs> he's not careless, and he wears a mask and everything, but uh-huh. he isn't as careful as I would be. So we had uh-huh. this argument about it because anxiety makes arguments worse. And I got into a really, I, I got really upset and scared, actually, um, uh-huh which it wasn't anything about him. It was about me and my anxiety, but I was in full of criticism. And when I got home, he'd left his coffee cup, a coffee cup out. And I began to, I looked at it and I thought, I can't believe he leaves, he leaves his stuff everywhere. And I began to think about all the things he'd left out and his clothes on the floor and the way he doesn't put stuff away the way he should. And pretty soon I had done something called case building where I felt so mad that there was nothing he could do, you know, if he walked in the door. And then I was able to catch myself and say, Linda, you're case building. You're just upset with him because you don't feel like he did the COVID safety that you wanted. And now Uh everything looks bad. And so it's really, and, and being able to catch that, I was able to laugh at myself and just think about all the generous good things he does for me. But it was perception. It was a perceptual issue. And the show was the first one that the tablecloth was on the floor. I saw that as a one, and I saw the table as a 10. And I was grateful. But four days later, in a different, what do you think about that? I think that that is very good. In fact, that when you were talking about that, what my mind went to was something in your book that you call attachment style. And you said there are different styles in um, attachment styles in your book. So talk to us. Because that was a little like, like really, an island, a wave, an anchor? Uh, so talk to us about attachment styles, because I think that kind of also uh, dovetails into, you know, that chemistry when we first meet someone, you know. Yeah, that's right. Something, but then what do we become attached to? Well, attachment's very tricky, and attachment has a lot to do with nat- with nature and nurture. Some people are. I use. Do you work with the Enneagram ever? You ever work with uh, that? I've system? never understood it, but you feel free to talk about it because I'm all about education. Well, it's so com- I don't. I'd love to, but I think it's gonna. It's complicated, but it really it has to do with different personality types that we come into the world with. But I think that some, you know some people come in and they're. And then from the very beginning, they don't need a lot of other people. So they're, they're much more remote. And then you add nurture and what happens in our family story along and mixed in with our personality. And when we grow up, well, we, we develop something called an attachment style. And most people don't have totally healthy attachment styles. The idea of islands and waves is that some people are more like islands. They don't need people very much. They need their projects. They need their running gear. They need their, you know, their work. 
or their interest, but they don't need other people very much. And then there are other people that we call waves who are always kind of looking around for something to come up against, to connect. And of course, those are the people that fall in love with each other, remote and someone who's looking for attachment. And the idea is that we we need both. We need to know that we're enough unto ourselves, which is the island, and we need to be able to be at a comfort with ourselves when we're not connected. And we also need to know how to connect because the research is very clear that people who have warm, connected relationships do better as they age in all ways, that it is really a source of of pleasure and well-being to have connection. It doesn't mean everyone has to be married for 40 years, but it means mm-hmm. we have to have close relationships that requires attachment so we need both of those things and in in marriage or in relationship work we call that the art of differentiation which is the ability to be both connected and with another person and also connected with ourselves and again I think those are lifetime lessons I don't think we get it the first round or most people don't and so what happens with attachment is that a person who's an island and needs a lot of space, falls in love with somebody who is always trying to connect with them. And at first, it seems, because they're, they're stoned on these wonderful chemicals, it seems like the perfect fit. And they're mm-hmm. sort of fascinated with each other. Put them in quarantine. You know, I had a, a couple I was working with, and they lived in a condo. If small and a really nice condo, and that's important to what happened, but a mm-hmm. very small condo in a major big city in the United States. And the man, was, it was a man and a woman, and the man was, he was a 10 on introvert scale. He didn't hardly need a person in his life. He did have a dog. He, he wasn't, he didn't have this issue with dogs, but he was, so he was married to a woman, and she wanted connection all the time. And they had been together a long time. They coped with it pretty well, you know, because he had lots of hobbies, and she had a million committees and foundations and friends and work mm-hmm. that she was engaged in. So it worked. But come, come COVID, and this was, well, I can say it was in New York where nobody was going out for months. They were stuck in this condo together. And so they were desperate. They called me, what are we doing? And, and in talking to them, there was nowhere in the house for him to go that she couldn't see him, but they had a beautiful closet. And it was, and it was, it was a very generous closet with a little mm-hmm. tiny window that looked out over Central Park. So we made a closet for him where he actually put a little sign up that said introverting, and when she saw it, she didn't go near him. And mm-hmm. it was just sort of a physical line between them so that they could she could get away from her feeling rejected all the time and he could get away from feeling constantly that she was going after him but I think that those attachment styles although they're attractive when we have ways to deal with the differences but when we're locked in together they can make us just feel crazy Okay. Well, folks, we're speaking with Linda Carroll, and we're talking about her book, Love Skills, The Keys to Unlocking Lasting Wholehearted Love, and you can check her out at her website, and that is lindaacarroll.com, L-I-N-D-A-A. 
C-A-R-R-O-L-L.com. Um, Linda, let's delve a little bit uh, deeper. You know, part of the, the uh, side effects of this COVID is my speech is getting really crazy, so bear with me, folks. Hopefully, as I continue to heal, the speech will heal. But, uh, Linda, let's talk about um, sex. On okay. page 210 in your book, you list the top truths about sex. So sh- share some of that with us, because so many people think that love is sex and sex is love. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, well, one of the things, we're talking about different attachment styles. People certainly have different uh, libidos, don't they? And that's mm-hmm. enough, But let's talk about the truths about sex. One is that you can't dilute it, you know, a lot of, a lot of times, and I, I have to say that, that some of the online classes are really wonderful. I teach an online class, in fact, on relationships. But I would be very, very careful if signing up for an online class with somebody, um, especially about sex that didn't have any kind of background in, in counseling or psychology, because people often, if they don't know better, try to distill it into a one for, kind of formula. They do it for their 97 and for other people, they think about it, you know, maybe once a year, if that much. We have different kinds of desire, but the desire discrepancy is a problem people have to have. But our sexuality is totally unique. There is no formula that works for all people. One of the things I was very impacted by was that the um, pictures that they, that I, at recent, I don't know, the last five or six years, that show little baby boys in utero with erections and little baby girls masturbating. And that and that is number two is that sex is a part of us from the time we're in the womb until the moment we die. We are sexual beings. Doesn't mean we always want to have sex, but we are sexual beings from mm-hmm. conception until the end. So so that goes into number three, which is to be kind to yourself and your partner as you talk about and explore differences because the, my experience is very different than my partner's, and nothing is true for all people all the time when it comes to anything to do with sex. I think that um, education is, is really helpful and essential for people sexually. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, that there is that knowing how your own body works, that's where it starts. Knowing how your own body works is huge. And, it, and, and what makes me feel good, I remember one time my husband and I went to a, a workshop and we were supposed to tell the other person what we felt about touch. And I've been teaching sexuality classes for years. And you know what, Monique? I didn't know. The question was, how do you like to be touched? I didn't even understand what the question meant. And oh, wow. it was a revelation to me because what I realized is I really don't like the same kind of touch he likes. And mm-hmm. we, you know, he loves, for instance, he loves to have um, my, his, his soft touch. I think of it like spider touch. And, that, and so light, that's light touch kind of fingers going mm-hmm. up and down the arm, for instance. Mm-hmm. I like hard touch. I like a deep massage. That is a big, sexy turn on to me. So mm-hmm. guess what we did for 20 years? We tortured each other. He would, I would give him deep massage, and he would say, "Why are you Why are you rubbing my neck? Why are you rubbing my neck that way? It hurts." And I'd be thinking it's a turn on, and then he would lightly stroke my leg, 
and I would not get at all excited, and neither of us knew what was happening. But what, what is important about this whole thing about education, about my body and your body is this, is that you're not me. And to really get my, to really get it, that you're not me, means I have to find out what pleases you because it's not going to be the same thing that pleases me. So that's one part of education is knowing how my body works and how your body works. Um, and, and intimacy is not just, you know, it's not just erotic sexuality. The, the largest sexual organ of our body is our skin mm-hmm. and how, and, one of, and we were talking about touching. You know, I think that, that what happens is that, um, that because we think the other person is us and we give to them what we want to, to get, and we do it wrong over and over, we end up personalizing it. I always get it wrong, or I can't please you, without realizing that what we ha- what, what one of the most important skills in our relationships, and it's not anywhere more important than it is in sex, is you're not me. The fact that you want sex four times an hour doesn't mean you're a sex maniac. And the fact that I don't think about it from month to month doesn't mean I don't love you. So being able to explore and understand who the other person is, that's a huge deal. Um, and so, so that, those are my truths about sex. Okay, so folks, you, you've heard it, okay. And, you know, Linda, talking to you, what I'm getting um, is about not forcing the issue all of the time. Um, pick, if you want to call it a battle, pick your battles, but be really present and cognizant of um, the other person. And the one thing that really uh, struck out to me in your book is communication with your significant other. And you encourage people to use um, the word and instead of but. Why is that? What difference could those three letters make either way? Because when you use the word but, you cancel the first part out. If I say I really love you but, if I say I really like the interview but, what happens? You know something's coming that's not yeah, that that's like not, in the interview, yeah. right? Yeah. So if I say I really like the interview and, you know, I you know, and I wish you could have gone on longer, or I really like the interview, and it would have been fun to just be sitting with you talking. That doesn't mean I didn't like the interview. If I say I really love you, and I really need to have a little bit of time with my friends in the next month away, that doesn't mm-hmm. cancel out I really love you. So, and when, or here's one, you did a great job, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... So when we use the word and, it's part of that mindfulness work where we can embrace more than one truth at once. It's not all one way and it's not all another way. You know, I really love you and sometimes I wish I were single. Sometimes I wish I were single and I really love being in this relationship. It lets us be with lots of different truths at once. Mm Mm-hmm. And so on the other side of that communication, it's also about listening. And you talk about pretend listening, selective 
listening, uh, even careful and deep listening. Tell us about that, because when I was reading it through that, um, my husband has definitely mastered pretend listening, and I've actually mastered selective listening. <laughs> so <laughs> tell us about but that. I, 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 well, I think that one of the things is that I, deep listening, okay, I will. Deep listening is a, deep, is a serious skill. It's a really important skill, and it needs lots of work. And here's the deal. We can't do that all the time. If we walk around and we are deeply listening to everything the other person says, we'll drive each other crazy. Uh So I talk about pretend listening is when you sort of, um, you know, you have, you make sort of gestures or grunts or, "Mm," but you're not, your mind is really somewhere else. Selective listening is you're listening for bullet points. You're listening for... Um, yeah, it was a hard day, but secretly you're criticizing or judging or mm-hmm. thinking whether you agree. Careful listening is when you pay more attention to the other person than your own responses to them, but not totally. So in selective listening, you wander off and you bring yourself back to the person and you try to give them responses that are useful, but it's you're not you're careful, but you're not totally there. But deep listening is when it's, it's as though you've crossed a bridge into the other person's world and you're actually, it can see and feel and experience what they're talking about and understand that from their point of view, even if you don't get it, from their point of view, it makes sense. Now, here's the thing about that is you can't be in deep listening all the time. You'll go nuts. Uh-huh. So it, but we, know, we have to know how to bring that to the other person. We have to know how to do it if you want to be a safe person, if you want to be able to be on their team when something's going wrong, then they've got to know that you can listen at times for them. Okay. Um, Do you think that all relationships could, should be saved, or is it a time just to let it go? No, I don't think that at all. You know, divorce rate is so high, and I think sometimes we jump into relationships or marriage, I should say, before really knowing ourselves and knowing the other person. So when, when do you know it's cutoff time? When, when should you not be putting in so much energy? Well, I think that one of the things that gets missed is you're talking about one end of it, which is the, en- the end of the, you're talking about the point in the relationship where you say, should I stay or go? But I mm-hmm. think there's another part in this, which is how you got into it to begin with. You know, I got into some bad relationships for me because I had such a a pretty traumatic upbringing and I had no sense of what, of of how to choose an appropriate person for me. I thought that the feelings of falling in love meant I should be with the other person. And that is not necessarily true. You know, we can have, we can select the wrong kind of person over and over. I think that the first part is how did we select this person? Mm-hmm. And and that's that's a re- and so when people talk, can all relationships be saved? Some relationships, should, except for the let for the teaching part of it, where you learn something about yourself, they are certainly not meant to be. Um, in terms of a long term, I mean, my husband and I have a lot of ways we don't fit, but we I, I always I think of it. We talk about it sometimes as though our egos couldn't be more wrong for each other, but our souls fit. We we yeah. understand at a core level one another. You know, mm-hmm. we have certain ways that we are in relationships um, that we have deep beliefs about what a relationship is and about 
about what it means to be in it and about life. And those those fit perfectly. But things like certain ways of how we live or clean dishes or, you know, how often we get the dog groomed or travel or spend money, we are totally opposite. He's a mm-hmm. New Zealand, uh, you know, far, he's a New Zealand country guy and I'm a San Francisco, um, you know, city person. Mm-hmm. But it, at a deep level, we really fit. And that we go back to again and again, whereas some people, they fit on that external level really well. But what they find is when they come to the deeper stuff, they don't get each other at all. And I think that's a real, I mean, you're not going to fix that in therapy. So, uh, but I don't ever know who should be together, who shouldn't. Someone, you know, often people ask me in interviews, well, do you ever get a feeling? No. I mean, if you're, if you're in a relationship where you're getting hurt and the other person is, is doing very damaging things to you, you need to get out. You need to get help. But I don't know who's right for anybody else. Like, it's not, I see people that seem to have everything going for them, and they both come to the agreement of, you know what, this is not right. And I see people who have had so much that they had to contend with, but they're working it out. They're determined. So I don't, I, I don't have anything but humility about that question because I don't know about anyone else but myself. Okay, well, I truly feel that. And, you know, if you're considering romantic relationship and moving down the road, that is important to develop a deep friendship first. I mean, that's the yes. way, you know, like when I look at my husband and those, it's one of those WTF days, I'm like, okay, he's yes. my friend. You know, let me get past yeah. this moment because it's my issue. Well, most yes. of the time it's my issue. But, you know, let me get past this moment and get back to the friendship level. And the friendship level can help me anyway. Oh, build I love that. Upon, you know, everything else that we're going through. Now, Linda, you have a website, lindaacarroll.com. What are we going to find there besides your book? And your book is also available well, on Amazon. My book, and I have blogs. I have things that I write. I have a newsletter, and I have a class that I teach on love skills. And I have one. I'm just finishing one. I have another one starting in January. I, it's a Zoom class, and I it's been great. It's been I think I've done six now, so that's really really been fun. Um, so come visit my website. I am very. I answer all my emails. I just mm-hmm. I I have a thing about doing it. It might take me a few days, but I'll get back to you. And I'm just happy to talk about relationships. Okay, so folks, there's a woman who walks her talk about love. So if you're struggling in this arena on any level, you know, drop her an email. She just might answer you. In fact, she will answer you because she just said that she would. So and do go get the book Love Skills: The Key to the Keys to Unlocking Lasting Wholehearted Love. Um, it, it's an easy read book. Um, it has exercises in there, but that helps you do your work, you know, because we live in such a drive-through society that, you know, sometimes we don't want to do the work. In fact, um, Linda, when we were talking before we started recording the show, you said something about you saw a class on endless money and true love. Talk to us about that real brief. Oh, I just got a notice in the mail. Somebody sent me a class that said for for $999, I don't know where they got my email, um, I really don't. I was, but for nine hundred ninety nine dollars, which was a special, that um, on Black Friday you could go, you could get a class that would give you, teach you how to have endless money in the bank, perfect health, and true love. And I just, I, I and in fact, I read that out of my. I had a class last night. I was uh-huh. finish, finishing up one of my classes, and I read a part of the letter out, and I said, "Folks, this is a lifetime project." 
to get better at love skills. You're not going to end, and to learn how to manage money and to deal with our health, which is sometimes in our control and sometimes not. You're not going to get it in a weekend. And beware of those kinds of promises because we all struggle with the human condition. And that's our, that's our trouble and that's our gift. And nobody can change that. So. Yeah, and that 9.95 definitely helps liberals putting on the class help their cash flow, but not necessarily will help <laughs> yours. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, well, then it's been a pleasure speaking with you. If you get another book out, you know, do give me a call. I enjoyed our conversation. Oh, I, thank you. I enjoyed both of them so much, and all the best to you. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. And to the audience, thank you for being with us as we collectively get over it. I'm truly honored, and I appreciate your time and your attention. And I want you to remember that the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of developing love skills. Abundant blessings, light, and love to all. Agape.